All right, we find then, it says in our last time, we talked about the plurality of elders. In the New Testament, we find that really every time a church is mentioned or is talked about having elders in a church, it's plural. And so, really, it's the onus is, I hate to say that word, but the onus is on us as Baptists to only have one. Is it okay only to have a pastor at a church? And so that's the question we're going to just talk about for just a minute, and then we're going to go into the, uh, the pastor's responsibilities. So we are on, we went through the stipulations, and we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're thinking if he doesn't come up with a good answer here, he's going to cook his own goose. That's probably what you're thinking about now. Uh, anyway. First Timothy chapter 3, it says for us here, now this is good for two reasons. Number reason number one, if you're in your book, it's 104, page 104 in your book. It's a didactic, a teaching passage, and also it answers questions regarding the order of the church. So this passage is singularly the most important, I think, passage in the New Testament regarding the bishop or pastor. We talked about last time, elder, bishop, pastor, overseer, episkopos, all those different words are one person, one and the same. So an elder can be a, is the pastor, is the shepherd, is all those words, one office. Uh, so different words for one office. Here we go. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach, not given the wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, nor covetous. One that rules his own house, well, his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be of a good report, have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. And, I, verse, and likewise must the deacons, back over here, verse 1, Desire the office of a bishop, a bishop, singular, verse 8, deacons, plural. So we want to make these uh, notes regarding the, the pastor. Interesting, this is, uh, it makes really, First Timothy is the singularly most important passage in New Testament regarding what we expect from a pastor. If there was the need of, the requirement of a church having a multiplicity, of pastors, that requirement, if it's going to be anywhere in the New Testament, anywhere in Scripture, it's really going to be right here. But we don't see that. We see a singular pastor, a multiple plural deacons. Question 7 on page 104, what would you expect to find in 1 Timothy 3 if having more than one elder was mandatory? There would be a plurality, of, but who deserve, it would be plural here. For all the bishops must be, or something like that. So but it's, it's singular this is where we, as Baptist Park, just want you to know, this is the one, this is where we say we don't have to have a, be ran by a plurality of elders or have an elder rule board to run the church. Now, we have elders in the sense we have a pastor and deacons, etc. We have people, we have other who are not even officially one of those capacities, a lot of elder people who are so influential. But do we have to have at least two, three, or four pastors on the same level, and that's the question that is, we are answered by saying no. So this is really the singular most important. Some would say, well, it's a stylistic thing here, because when they say bishops is plural, elder or bishop is singular, and deacons is plural, but that's not really the question. The question really is, the question is whether the text requires a church to have multiple bishops or elders. The answer is it does not. 
I would say a typical rule of thumb often in our circles is 150 people. If you go beyond that, you need some assistant pastor or two. And then by 150 people approximately. I told you last week that when I went down to Memphis many years ago, Pastor Rogers had 24 full-time pastors on board with him. That's just a pastor, 24. Church was 26,000 members. So it was like a little city, but that required those pastors, etc. But do we have to have more than one? And the answer, of course, is no. I like, uh, I'm reading from an ancillary uh, book regarding this. It's actually where this book, your book comes from. It says, what is the significance of these references to single bishop? Certainly not that a church is limited to only one. It's not saying that. For many texts in the New Testament's Testament are shown with multiple elders. Matter of fact, almost every single time, if not every time, it talks about elders. It's almost all plural, always plural. So we have in our circle sometimes we've we've thrown out churches who are elder ruled, as that's something completely or elder board ruled, completely completely foreign to Scripture. When in essence, and really. More often, it's plural. Elders is plural rather than singular. So just let you, but we really want to stop here on, on 1 Timothy because it really doesn't require, it never ever requires, even Titus chapter 1 verse 5 does not require a multiplicity of elders. Really, Titus 1 5 is ambiguous, should not be used as a proof text in either direction. Now, a proof text, how about proof texting? Is there, those are two different things. Proof text is a text where we gather our teaching from. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. At Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you'll confess with your mouth and heart, etc. These are proof texts. Proof texting is you list, I believe, in Diet Mountain Dew as the greatest invention ever, and you list all these verses, and we lift the verses up, and they have nothing. None of them are going to refer to Diet Mountain Dew, but they have nothing to do with what... Okay, let's say, I, ref- I believe in eternal security. And you list all these verses about whatever, but they don't refer to actually that doctrine, so you are proof texting. Because you're just listing verses without explaining them. And so that often you'll see that on the internet, likely, if you're doing those kind of things, or Facebook, etc. Neither 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1.5 articulates, articulates a requirement for plural eldership that clearly applies to all churches everywhere. Is it wrong for a church to have more than one pastor? No, it's not that, but it's not required to do so. Plural eldership is clearly permissible and was even typical during the New Testament era. Consequently, churches may have more than one elder if they find plurality useful, etc. Nevertheless, Baptists usually stop short of concluding that plural eldership is a biblical requirement. If a single pastor is sufficient to meet the needs of a church, small congregation in a rural community, then the rule is not violating a New Testament standard if it does not add other pastors. Thoughts or questions? We're just, I'm going to go on further unless there's a... You're welcome to ask. Yes? There probably wouldn't be anything wrong with having uh, several elder pastors in all So you and I would work well together? <laughs> Don't answer that question. <laughs> Probably. So I guess what I said all that. I'm happy with the way our church runs. 
uh, happy, and I'll probably go to other churches if I would ever leave this church that runs similarly. But let's not castigate and throw everybody out and throw them under the bus if they don't believe exactly like we do, and their church government is a little bit different than ours. Doesn't mean it's wrong. I know it's probably coming because doesn't mean it's wrong necessarily. It's not against. Matter of fact, they have more textual things for a plurality of elders than we do for a singular pastor bishop. So just just let you think, stew on that, think it over. Not stew on it. No, we're not afraid about it. We do what God's called us to do at this church. That's that's. We'll just go right in. Let's go. Pastor authority is next. <laughs> Where it's about time we get to that thing. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, pastoral authority with uh, three verses. I'm going to read if you want to follow along. And 517 of 1 Timothy says for us, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now that we talked about last week will be used by those who have the plurality of elders as teaching pastors and non-teaching pastors, two different segments there. We, however, believe it's those who are doing regular and then those who are going above and beyond. That's how we would describe the double honored people. And 1 Thessalonians 5.12, please. 1 Thessalonians 5.12. You have your dialing fingers ready there. It says for us here, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And then we also have Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Who wrote Hebrews? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Oh, I like that answer. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there's different things we can tie from those verses in. So number one, we're on page 105 now, authority that lies in teaching and example. First consideration is this. New Testament churches really are what make the decisions. The pastor, obviously, not simply the pastors making a unilateral decision, but churches together. And so that's why we vote on these things, vote on members, vote on this, vote on that, etc. That's why we as a congregation make the decision. So it's in the New Testament it was that way. It wasn't simply the elders were just... Just fiat declaring all these things on page 105, question 8. Why didn't Paul say the pastor was the pillar and ground of truth? Let's read the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, 315 of 1 Timothy. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know that thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It wasn't the pastor, it's the church there together. So it's not a singular person. So why didn't Paul say that? Because the church as a whole is this. There is no clear instance in Scripture of a pastor making the most important decisions of a church on behalf of a church. So in Scripture, they decided together. And that's church governmental, that's the way it would work in the New Testament. Secondly, second consideration is this, this the, that a fiat official declaration by the pastor is really expressly forbidden. First Peter 5.3, please. First Peter 5.3. In the New Testament, what, how do we categorize Peter? First and second Peter in Gospels, history, Pauline epistles. General epistles, very good. And then Re- Revelation is prophecy, very good. First Peter chapter 5-3. First Peter 5-3 says for us, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. 
So there's no place in Scripture, I'm sorry, I'm probably speaking too loud, no place in Scripture where the pastor is supposed to, by divine declaration, this is what we're doing, and you just like it or lump it. That's not the pastoral role. I told a a pulpit committee person just this week, I said, this person you're considering, I don't care who it's considering, if they're not a person of integrity or have humility, keep looking. Those are two things, as a pastoral candidate, you need to be finding as a person of humility and a person of integrity. And if, you, if this person is not that, then keep on looking. But it never gives the pastor to act as a lord, to be a master, to rule over. Uh, this idea of dictating every single aspect of every single person's life. Like, like uh, if you want to go out to eat somewhere, please don't ask me. Just, you know, I'm not saying you should go somewhere that you shouldn't be going, but if you're wanting to go to Bob Evans for supper tomorrow, you don't have to ask, you just go right on. If you want to go to Ely, Minnesota on vacation, you just make sure if I'm going with you, but you just go right on and pull me right behind. Who's he going to marry? Between you and God. Parents, ask your, ask your parents being Paul to that. That's between you and God. If you want to ask me permission, I'll give you my what I think about the person. Number one, are they Christian, etc.? But that's between you and God to decide. And so I don't, the pastor's role is not to decide every single thing in every per, part of your life. Don't want to do that. That's the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit works in your heart and life, you will follow Him. He will direct you always to the right direction. So that's maybe some more of a too practical of an explanation of that. But number page 106 now, third consideration is this. Pastor's authority is regularly associated with his preaching and teaching. So back over to our question number 10. What pastoral functions did Paul say were characteristic of elders who rule well? 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders that rule well be kind of worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So those who are laboring in the word of doctrine, preaching and teaching. That would be a very important part of the pastor's uh, uh, leadership, etc., and number four, uh, down, later on down in the, in the page, their consideration of the pastor's example is also connected to the authority. Now, while we, the pastors forbade this fiat declaration of my way highway thing, we also are to be the leader of the church. They are to be that. Matter of fact, it says in 1 Peter 5, 3, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, verse here, that verse once more, 1 Peter 5, 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So the the pastor is pointing by his teaching and by his example. That is to be really part of what the pastor is to be doing. Yes, preaching, yes, and teaching these things. But also, I think example is so important. That's why it's such a it's such a responsibility to become a pastor. It really is. Because I I know you you can see, I'm sure if you wanted to get up and everyone could say a different negativism, and that's that we all have things that we are struggling with, etc. But that's to be the pastor's mindset. He instructed Timothy to be that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy 4.12. If you're hanging in there with me and listening and carrying on with me, there we go, 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou in what? Example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. So we are to be those things. We are to be an example to those who are following us, etc., or are in our church, etc. Question number 12, what are some areas in which a pastor needs to be an example to his flock? And I'll just be quiet for a moment and uh, let you respond. 
What are some areas? A pat, not, not this, this one specifically, but the pastors in Indiana. The pastors in Indiana. Moral, okay. What kind of example? What areas? Morality. Honesty. Honesty. Humility. Humility. Integrity. Hospitality. Haircut. Okay. Keep hair off the top of your head. Off the top of head. I got that one. Check. Check on that one. So that that's the authority of the pastor comes from example and comes from leader and comes from that. And as really, I like this last part here. Authority is mediated from scripture. The authority is mediated from Scripture. And if you're on 107, I thought this is quite a salient point. The epistles draw, the epistles being the letters, the New Testament, draw a fairly clear picture of pastoral leadership. Pastors are expected to lead, but their authority is moral rather than fiat in nature. They do not make decisions for the church, but they teach the Scriptures in such a way as to prepare the church to make wise decisions for itself. I remember Bob Will told me different times, the pastor, what you need to do is get ready so when you're gone or something happens to you, the church just continues right on. Just continue, doesn't miss a beat, keeps on going. That's the, you know, work yourself out of job. What do you want to, however you want to determine that? But the church should just go right on as God leads. I was thinking, I was, we were coming back from the hospice today. Just driving, people just going by, stopping at lights, racing through here, racing through there. Unaware that one of the most well thought of godly people in all of Greenup County has gone on to be with the Lord, but they're so busy they wouldn't. Who matters? What God thinks matters. And so when we get home, it's not what necessarily even your family thinks or your friends think. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is what we should be longing to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So again, on a summary on 107. A pastor has no authority of his own. He operates strictly with the authority of Jesus Christ and authority mediated only through the word of God. A pastor's opinions are no more authoritative than the opinions of any other person. I'll say it again. A pastor's private opinions are no more authoritative than opinions of any other person. If you've listened to me long enough, you'll know I will say this. My opinion of this is when it's something not clearly in Scripture, I believe this, personally believe this, or my opinion about that, but our personal opinions and my wife and I are dead set opposites on pop of choice. Diet Dr. Pepper, diet Mountain Dew. And she, I'll drink hers, but she will not touch mine. And so her opinion, though, just as important as mine. Yes? That's personal opinions. Yes, it is. And then mine's just as important as hers. Mine's just as important as Mr. Womack's. No, don't be shaking your heads like that. Don't be shaking your heads like that. So see, the pastor's authority, see, that's why it's so important. When I leave, you have a new pastor, perhaps someone, your children, your grandchild comes up and becomes pastor then you have to be Bible-ready. That's why we bring our Bibles. So that you know what the pastor's saying. It has to agree with here. My only authority, I can't tell you, listen, you need to start drinking Diet Mountain Dew the rest of your life. You say, you laugh and go all the way home. Our pastor's ludicrous. Yes, he is. I'm saying you need to obey God the rest of your life. Whoa. 
Where do you get that from? See, that's where the authority comes from. It doesn't come from me as a person. So when a pastor preaches authoritatively, thus saith the Lord from the Bible, what's your response as a church? Amen. Oh me, i got to do that. But when pastor says, you know, all cats are wonderful creatures, you may not agree with that. He's not going to say that either. But, me, but, we, you see, but I say, now listen, we are to put our faith and trust. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. It's by grace through faith alone. Well, yes, well then, that's what, we, what the Bible says. So that's, the, that's where our authority comes from, not from my personal, private opinions. His authority consists in the proclamation of the Scriptures, as he rightly explains their meaning, brings them to bear upon life, and illustrates their truth through personal example. So what happens to a church that doesn't preach God's Word? It says, one, says a verse, and they go off on this tangent. That's just your opinion. It's a good storytelling. So that's why we always have to have as the centerpiece God's Word. Does that make sense to everyone? God's Word has to be the centerpiece, for that's where the authority comes from. Question number 13. What might make a pastor rejoice as he reports to Christ about his congregation? If I'm praying to uh, the Lord tonight, and I want to say, what might I rejoice in this evening regarding our church? Togetherness, willingness to work, prayer. Are you not pray? Are you a praying person? I believe a lot, most of not all of you are praying people, working together in unity. We want to see that we all, don't. You want to see people get saved? Wouldn't you like to see our church have to go to blow the doors and sides off and like have you know get so many people coming up this road that they people complain about how many cars come to our church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights? Wouldn't that be? We don't necessarily want that problem per se, but to have that many people? Are you just content where are you just content where you are? I trust you're not. You should never be content as a Christian. And you should always want to get closer and closer and closer to God. You should. Don't be content with where you are. Just keep growing. Keep growing. And finally, let's go. It's the authority over teaching is final. And I'm still on page 108. Pastoral authority then consists primarily in preaching, teaching, and example. Pastors do not exercise decision-making power over the congregation, yet pastors do hold the authority to make decisions in this very important area of teaching. Uh, the congregation, it's interesting. You see how important it is when Stephanie and I came to Little Sandy Baptist? Was it the very first Sunday we came and came? We joined the church. Now, that was so important because the pastor joins the church. When I join the church, then I am saying that what you as a, as a church have already approved and signed on for, I'm putting myself under that very same thing. So when I preach or teach, I need to be reflective of what you as a church have already said in your constitution or, or in your statement of faith, etc. You know, if, if I am a... If I don't believe in eternal security, then I probably shouldn't come here as pastor. Or if, I, if I believe in baptismal regeneration, I should never have come here in the first place because you clearly disagree with that. right? Does it, so, so I have put myself under what you have already decided. So then we can work together. We're on page 108. I like the way it says here. The con- as a covenant body, the congregation itself specifies the acceptable doctrinal parameters for the church. 
And since he, the pastor, knowingly submits to those parameters and cannot ethically then transgress them, so I submitted to them. So if I start believing in the doctrine of uh, I can lose my salvation, and plus I believe you have to be baptized to be saved, I should resign this church and go to another church that believes that same way. Rather than stay here, because really I've gone against what I said I would do, because I believe something different. Instead of tearing this church apart, I should just quietly resign, say, you know, I have a different theological persuasion now, I'm going to go to another church, and you keep what you have, but I'm, I do not agree with that any longer. But see, I said when we came on, and when you joined the church, you, you agreed, you said you agreed with, that's why, do you agree with what we believe here? I don't always, always say that, but that's the idea. When we come on, that's how we work together in unity. So, uh, interesting under there, it says, pastors should not have to gain congregational permission to preach on an unpopular message, and they should not be saddled with programs and practices that work against a right grasp and application of biblical principles. Should I should not be bringing in something that's so contrary to what we believe, and then I should not have to, if, it, if, it's, a difficult, sorry, if it's a difficult thing, I don't ask you to preach on climate change, the biblical view of climate change. You may not have something you want to hear about, but I think we need to know about that. Uh, I don't ask you to preach on, on hell. I have to preach what I believe the Holy Spirit leads me to speak on. But because it's within the parameters of what we believe as a group, then we go from there. So and biblical view of that, etc. And we're gonna close up. We got the time just to close up here. I think we got one good slide I really want to hit on. Mm. These little arrows here, pastoral leadership. So the congregational authority is this to obey the word and weigh his counsel. The pastor then submits the congregational decisions. Preach God's word, teach God's word, apply God's word, illustrate God's word. The church chooses leadership, conducts membership, votes, etc. Sets policies, determine direction and programs. It takes both. If you have one of those at 99% and the other at 1%, it's going to be a difficult boat ride. If the church is 99% in control, the pastor has just 1%, of a responsibility or authority or can say so, or the pastor has 99%, and the church has 1%. That, it's, it's, you see, it's an, equal, it's an equal thing, working together for the cause of Christ. I'm closing up with 109. Uh, it says, uh, uh, this little summary here, a local church that has ordered according to the New Testament will have two centers of authority, on the one hand, the congregation will possess the authority to bear, and bear responsibility to make decisions about the church's leadership, membership, etc. As a member of the church, the pastor is obligated to submit to the authority of the congregation. On the other hand, the pastor will possess the authority to preach, teach, apply, illustrate the word of God. When he faithfully and accurately brings the scriptures to bear upon life, the congregation is obligated to do what? What does it say? Obey. And rather than even obey, it's obey God. You see, you're doing it for God. This is God's church. I'm just simply the under-shepherd doing to lead you. I'm telling you, this is God's church. When I'm gone, I trust, Lord willing, you'll not, you'll not miss a lick. You'll just keep going right on. Someone else will step in and keep going so that your children and your grandchildren here in this part of Kentucky will have a church to go to until the Lord comes back. That's the purpose. But we work together. There is the pastoral leadership Congregational authority. Any questions on that or thoughts or comments before we pray?
Lord, we just thank you that you do show us in your word what we are to do. Lord, whether we're the pastor or anyone in the congregation, we are to submit to your word. Lord, help us to be doing that. May our lives, Lord, the world so needs lives that are centered upon you. May that be us, by your grace. May you live your life through us the rest of this week. Again, be it those in bereavement, Dave's family, Lyndon family, Mr. Stevens' family, and others may not even be aware of. I pray that you'd comfort, and Lord, just bless us now as we go our separate ways. Bring us again to hear your word on Sunday. Pray Brother Phil as he speaks to the church this Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.